0: Hey, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, We'll bring you one. We'll put it in your hands right now. Don't be ashamed if you didn't bring it today. We're happy to put one in your hand. Raise your hand. Wave in the air. Do it like this. One of these. What? Uh, uh, Yeah. Uh, uh, Raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. That that can be your Bible if you don't have one. Um, Some of you, I know, are using your device. That's cool. But open to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to pick up. In verse 26, and so I'm going to read, we're going to read this text together, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. So let's, uh, let's jump right into that now. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran and heard him reading the Isaiah the prophet, and he was asked, do you understand what you're reading? That's the way I would be if I was saying that while I was trying to run. I'd be like, slow this chariot down. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went about his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all towns until he came to Caesarea. Wow! And so this is one I love this story. It's one of those. It's kind of those you know just things that doesn't happen normally, but I love the way this happens. And you're gonna see that all through Acts, just about the way the Holy Spirit works. He does some things differently in Acts than he might do today. But the same Holy Spirit that is active in Acts is the same Holy Spirit that is active here in 2023, even here in Refuge Church. Amen? Yes, yes, same Holy Spirit. He hasn't changed any. He hasn't he doesn't he hasn't moved or done some things different. But what we see in Acts is some things that are a little bit different than the norm than we might possibly see today. And so Here we are. Uh, Here's Philip again, square in the middle of today's text. And so our first encounter with Philip was in Acts chapter six. And 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 so in Acts chapter six we see he was a deacon. He was deaking. You know, he was just doing the deacon deal, and uh, he was just doing his 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 business. He was minding his business as a deacon. He was humbly doling out the widow's portion in the Jerusalem church and and he was really doing what deacons are appointed to do and then persecution hit the Jesus followers I, I mean the people that were following Jesus during that time persecution came we read about Saul and how he was persecuting the church and and that just spread the early Christians out and around and they were kind of dispersed from there and and so they went to other cities and they began to proclaim the gospel in other cities and and even though Philip wasn't a pro I mean he wasn't called necessarily. He didn't think at least to be a preacher. He he didn't know that's what was going to be his gig. But even though he wasn't called to be that, he was still filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Spirit was clearly at work in him. If you've been following along with us over the last few weeks here in Acts, you've seen that he was filled with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit was doing really cool and amazing things uh, in him. And he was sent to the despised Samaritans. And so by this time, the Jews really hated the Samaritans. I mean, they, they didn't like him at all. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament in 1 Kings under Jeroboam. He was the king during that time. And what we saw was that the kingdom of Israel had been divided. And, and And part of that uh there were two tribes that had set up one had set up in Jerusalem, and one of the other tribes, the larger tribe had kind of gone their own way. They chased their own gods, they went after other gods, they married foreign women, those crazy women and 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 so they got called away, they got pulled away from what it was that God had called them to do. and so the kingdom had split all the way back into. Jerusalem. And the people that had kind of gone away and married other women, they had been started to call them Samaritans because they were of a mixed race of people. They weren't of the original Jewish line uh, during that time. And so the only other really times that we see recorded in the scriptures where uh, there were some interactions with Samaritans was, you remember what they are? Two specifically come to mind in the New Testament. You know what they are? I love mumbled answers. That is, it's literally like Charlie Brown's teacher when I asked that question. I'll just answer it for you. Um, uh, First, it was Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that? where he goes to the Samaritan woman and and it would be really weird for a man during that time to approach a Samaritan woman that was almost scandalous during the time or was scandalous during the time. And so he still approached her and helped her and met a need where she was. And then the other time was on the other side of it, the good Samaritan, right? Where there was was a, a person that was injured on the side of the road and multiple people passed by this person who was injured, yet who stopped to help. It was a Samaritan who stopped to help. It was someone who was despised by people during his day, but stopped to help and really said, hey, whatever this person needs, you, you help this person however they need. If you need more money when I come back, I'll give you some more money along the way. And so those are two other instances that we see Samaritans, and so that might give you a little bit of context about who we were talking about. But Philip was sent to the Samaritans, and the text that we've read here through Acts, tells us that there were lots of people, there were great numbers of people, great numbers of Samaritans that believed the gospel, great numbers of Samaritans who had become Christians during this time. That's, that's what we've read over the past few weeks. If, if you're new to Refuge, we, we do expository preaching. And so we've been preaching directly through this text. And so we don't get to skip over things like that, that may be weird or uncomfortable or kind of sketchy. Or do we talk about that in church and all those kind of things? We read about it, we preach about it, uh, week after week, and that's what we saw over the last few weeks: is them encountering uh, or, or uh, uh, Philip going to the Samaritans and actually preaching, uh, it, and and so, it, kind of thinking about people that were despised and hated. I, I have to kind of get a context in my head, and I thought, okay, Philip going to the Samaritans would kind of be like a, a S- Mississippi State fan going to the Southern Kingdom. What is what is. Samaritans? He, or, or he would, you know, like he would be going to a different kingdom, and so it'd be like a, a a state fan going to Oxford to preach to the lost, dying out souls, darkened in their in their minds, darkened in their eyes, darkened in their thinking, and how the state fan would be bringing light to the dark world that is in Oxford, Mississippi. And on the can- yes, and I give an amen. Thank you, Robin. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm just kind of kidding about that. Uh, but in our text today, God has chosen Philip uh, to accomplish his purposes. God said, I- I'm going to reach some of these Samaritans and I- I'm going to use Philip to uh, accomplish this. Thing that I want to do in the Samaritans. And so he, he had Philip preach to large crowds and, 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 and it was a cool thing because many people were, were called to follow Jesus. And now we see in our text today, I'm going to change course for you, Philip. I'm going to call you to one man. I'm going to call you to one person. I'm going to take you out of the spotlight, out of the big, out of the big crowds, and I'm going to call you to one person. Think about that. I mean, God valued... This one person, this one person, this Ethiopian eunuch, God valued him as much as he did the masses. As much as he did the great multitudes of people, God valued him just as much. God values you. Listen to me. God values you. You're not here by mistake. You might think, man, I got drug here today. My parents made me show up today. My spouse has been badgering me to go to this church, and I'm here today. You know what? You're here to hear this message. You're here to hear that God values people so much that He took a man like Philip, who was in the middle of great ministry, and sent him to one to hear the message of the gospel. You've been called here today because God values you so much that He has called you here to hear the message today, to hear the message that Jesus rescues sinners, that that Jesus gives hope to people like you and me. Look, I ain't always been a preacher. I was living in a dark, dark place in part of my life. And somebody sent someone to me, just like God has sent me to you today, to hear this, to proclaim this good news of the message of the gospel. And each of us are called to that same kind of ministry that Philip had. God calls some of you to different people. God calls you to a different people. Many of you have influence over different groups of people, individuals that I don't have any influence over. You'll have more influence over people than I'll ever get a chance to speak into some of the people in your life. Sometimes he may call you to be like Philip and stand in front of tens or hundreds or thousands of people and proclaim the gospel message. Or he may call you to one person. He may call you to look in your own home, to look next door at your neighbor, to look in your family reunion whenever you meet up with your family. God may call you, and probably is, if you're a follower of Jesus, calling you to share the gospel with people that you have an influence with. Young people, you have influence with people. There are people that you can speak into their lives. Adults, you have people that you can speak into their lives that will never listen to me. They don't know me. They don't know other preachers that you know, but they know you, and they trust you, And they believe you, and they see you, and they watch you. You'll have that same kind of influence. You may be called to do things like this, just like Philip was called, to bear witness of the goodness of God, the life-saving message of the gospel. Let's look again at the text, chapter 8, verse 26. Let's read that again. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose... And he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so whenever Philip, whenever he was installed as a deacon, he, the, the scripture tells us that he was full of the a Full of the Spirit, whenever you're full of the Spirit, that means you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, Faithfulness, self-control, and and so you know sometimes we're bad about calling those the fruits of the spirit, but it is the fruit of the spirit. It is it is you get the fruit of the spirit. You get it all whenever you become a, a follower of Jesus. All those things begin to be part of who you are and part of your uh, of your being as you begin to exhibit those kind of things and some of your old things begin to pass away and these things begin to become part of new. Of, A new part of who you are. And so Philip certainly exhibited those things. And and, and so the text tells us that uh, him being filled with the Spirit means that he was open to the Spirit's direction. If the Spirit lives within you, then the Spirit is going to be speaking to you and guiding you. And and Philip was open to the Spirit's direction. And that's that's a, a thing that we need to understand, that being filled with the Spirit means he was open to the Spirit's direction. Are you open to the Spirit's direction? Are you open to the Spirit's direction? Are you even filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you even walk in the Spirit, bro? I mean, that's something you really have to answer for yourself. Only you really know that. I can't know that about you. I can see part of what you live, but everybody acts different around the preacher. Right? You know you do. But you only know if you're filled with the Spirit if you're not, you have to ask your, the question, why not? Why am I not filled with the Spirit? What's keeping me from being filled with the Spirit? Why am I delaying this whole thing about being filled with the Spirit? Why am I delaying securing eternal life and following Jesus? Why am I delaying following Jesus? Why do I have this aversion to Christianity? Uh, Look, I can get it as the religious side that we all get a chance to see, but I'm not talking about the religion of Christianity. I'm talking about being in a relationship with the king of the universe. I'm talking about repenting, turning from our sins, putting our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, becoming a new creation. I'm talking about truly following Jesus. Why are we not in that place? You know, if we're ful- filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're Christians, many times that leads to different discussions in our lives, and, and that might lead you into opportunities to speak about Jesus. That might lead you into a, a, a discussion with people about needs in their lives. You know, as, as Christians, some of, our, what, some of our calling is to meet the needs of others. And we see that all through the, specifically the New Testament where needs got met by the church. So sometimes that may be you being called to meet a need. You being called to to minister to someone else and see a need and hear the need and, and go, man, God, do you want me to fill this need and meet that need? Sometimes it may be using your spiritual gifts to minister to people, to minister in the church. I tell people, and I say this all the time at refuge, if God has brought you here, if the spirit of God has brought you to refuge and you are a follower of Jesus, he has given you spiritual gifts. And we're a better church whenever you use your gifts in this body. God didn't bring you here to just sit and take it all in. God brought you here to use your gifts to edify the body and to to make this a stronger body so that we can continue to be the church that God calls us to be, light and hope in the midst of a dark world. You know, there's many ways that people have grown up and in our faith. And, and we've heard about the Holy Spirit, about, you know, we're talking about Philip being filled with the Spirit. And, and so many of us have been brought up in different ways and different religions and, and different sects of religion and things like that. And so we probably have different views of what the Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works. Some, some of you may not even know anything about the Holy Spirit. Uh, you, you may go, I, I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk about the Holy Spirit in the church that I grew up in. I mean, it was the same way for me. I mean, we talked about God the Father, God the uh, God the Son, and and the, and the Holy Scriptures. We didn't we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit when I was growing up in the churches because we left that to our crazy charismatic friends, and you know they they were going to be they were the ones running crazy, singing their tambourines and all that. You know, uh, that's what that's what I thought about whenever I was growing up in my my roots. And so we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. There's a a book by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God. It's a great book to read about the Holy Spirit because he is many times the forgotten God, but he is the one at work today. Jesus has accomplished redemption and he sent the Spirit. He said, it's better that I go away and I'm going to send the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is at work in our world and in you today. And so I would just encourage you uh, to get to, to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We know that's what was going on with Philip. And so many times we bring baggage to the table whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit because of our religious backgrounds and however we grew up, whatever church, uh, uh, a denominational thing that we might have grown up in. Um, and so we have, to, we, we, we have to be careful not to assume that whenever we read the scriptures, uh, one, that we don't take our history and what's been told to us in the past and go, well, that's what I learned. And that's what I learned in my grandmama's church. And that's just the, the tradition I've always been raised in. And so when I read something like this happening, then it's always going to happen this way. Carol and I were listening to a song on the way to church today. We've flipped it to Caleb. We're listening to some music today. There was a song that came out, I told Carol, I was like, I hate this song. Don't like it. She's like, why do you not like it? I'm like, listen to what it says. And it talked about a couple things that God always moves the mountains. They love to sing about moving mountains in these songs, Caleb. Um, always moves the mountains. He always parts the seas. He always does these things that we read about in the, in the, uh, the scriptures. That's not true. Not true. He don't always part the sea. He don't always deliver us from our dangers. He don't always deliver us from uh, death. The vast majority of things that I read in the scriptures, is many. especially you get into Hebrews, what does Hebrews tell us? Hebrews tells us when you get to chapter 11, that toward the end of chapter 11, he says, we are not even worthy to hold the sandals of some of the people that have gone on before us, those that were torn asunder. We know, there are not a whole lot of songs about being torn asunder these days. You know what I'm saying? There's not a whole lot of songs about being eaten by lions. Can we do that band? Can we get to one of those, Jeff? Can we get working on that? Okay, good. There's not a whole lot of talk about that. I'm digressing here. I've got to get out of that ditch. Um, here's, what, here's my point. God does not change The the God that we read about in Acts and in our text today, God doesn't change. That doesn't mean he always does the things that he does. He can, but it doesn't mean that he always does. And so we have to understand that just because we read something in the scriptures doesn't mean that God always does it in that same way, okay? Especially whenever we get into Acts because the Holy Spirit is breaking onto the scene. God, remember, don't. Don't go say, well, Scott's saying that God doesn't do this stuff anymore and and the Holy Spirit doesn't act that same way. I'm not saying that. He can do whatever he wants to do. But it doesn't mean just because we got somebody that was delivered in a certain way, that that means you're going to be delivered in that same way. Okay? That's the truth of how we read the scriptures. But Philip had enough spiritual understanding uh, not to quench the unveiling of the Holy Spirit in his own life. Like he, he understood that, you know what, the Holy Spirit is doing some work in me and I don't want to quench that spirit. I mean, sometimes he knows that the Holy Spirit leads us into places by difficulty, like was happening with him whenever Saul was coming and ravaging the church. And so he got sent to Samaria. And so he was sent there because difficulty was coming and persecution was coming. But that's not the only way that God leads us to go into places. Sometimes it's just the way that our life flows. Sometimes it's by our own choices that we make, you know, where we live or whether we go to church or what friend groups that we're in or where we go shop at a grocery store. I mean, sometimes those things lead us into places to be a ministering uh, presence in those places and we're not, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't make us disappear and end up somewhere else. It's just the part of our lives. Sometimes we're in the middle of those by divine appointment. So I need you to understand that as we read Acts, God doesn't necessarily gonna always make you disappear and appear somewhere, somewhere else, okay? You try, does that make sense, church? Yes. You gotta understand that when you, under, when you read the scriptures. Let's keep going, 26 through 29. Well, that's, that's where we just read. This text tells us that Philip was led by an angel, so he was led by an angel. It says that right at the beginning of verse 26. He was led by an angel. Hebrews 1.14 says that angels are ministering spirits to us. That as Christians, angels minister to us as followers of Jesus. We, you may never see an angel, but angels are ministering spirits to us. I've told the story here about we believe that we had a, an angel that appeared to us uh, in early on at refuge, and we think it was a test from the Lord. I still believe it to this day. I don't have time to get into that today, but ask me about it sometime. I'm glad to tell you that story. So all of us at some time have been served or are being served by some angels that are ministering to us. First, Philip went through persecution. Next, Philip was uh, led by ministering angels, what it says here uh, uh, in Acts chapter 8. And he was open to the, the unique calling and the unique direction of where the Spirit wanted to take him. And the question is, are you? Are you open to that? Are you open to the Spirit leading you someplace and into something different and into a place that might not be comfortable for you? Are you open to the Spirit leading that way? Think about that. Answer to yourself honestly. Philip was led by an angel into this, but not only how he was led, but where he was led. This was not time. It was a place like I said. It was not so glamorous. I mean, put yourself in Philip's place. I mean, you just came off this Samaritan Crusade, big revival tent revival. You know, big, big things happening in Samaria. Simon the magician had gone down. We read that about that uh, a couple weeks ago. He had been exposed as this charlatan. The entire town that knew that you were from God and, and they, were really, they were really excited about you being there. Many people were following Jesus and suddenly call, God calls you to this desert place and you're going to minister to one person. And again, I can imagine that Philip might have said, man, God, I, man, I, I put the work in, bro. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I, I've been with the Samaritans. You call me to the Samaritans. And now you're going to take me out of this big ministry and you're going to put me in some desert place? It's just going to be me looking for one cat along the way? What are you doing? I mean, I think that's probably the way I would respond. Much to my shame. But that's not the way Philip responded at all. He was ready to serve anywhere, anytime. He didn't need a prominent place on, on a stage. He didn't need to be standing out here at the end of the stage. You know what I'm saying? He didn't need to be standing out here behind a pulpit preaching to a bunch of people. He didn't need to be, you know, standing behind a microphone right here singing the songs. He didn't need people to look at him and say a whole lot about him. He didn't need the accolades. He knew that he was standing and doing and responding to an audience of one. And I'm not talking about the one he was sent to, I'm talking about the one he was sent by. He was living his life as an audience, in front of an audience of one. Talk about humility. Humility. We could use more of that specifically in the church of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. especially from men who are called to stand in a pulpit and proclaim the good news of the gospel. You know, the, the, the people we see, the people that get on TV, the people that, that you know, have these big platforms and things like that, man, I love the fact that God uses people like that. I really do. I love the fact that people can spread the gospel literally around the world. I, I'm glad that we can do those kind of things. But man, that is a big stage, and those are big pressures that come with that, big temptations that come with that. And unfortunately, we see time and time and time again men fall and fail under the pressure of that. Humility is essential when it means to be used by God. And Philip certainly was that man. Man filled with the spirit of God, endowed with the power of the God, the message of the gospel. Anywhere God sent him, he was like, man, I'll get up and go. Will you get up and go? Are you open to just people that God call you to? Are you willing to take a leap of faith to go, God, you're calling me to something and I'm willing to step out and do that very thing. It seems crazy, but I'm willing to do it, God. Can you answer yes whenever God calls you to something? I hope you can. Let's keep reading. Pick up in verse 31. And so let's pick up and, uh, verse 30. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before the shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I'm asked you, does this prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with the, beginning with the scriptures, and told him the good news about Jesus. And so two, two kind of views I want us to think about this. Think about this first from like the 10,000-foot view. Um, so think about... Um, uh, a Lucas Klein is a, a, a buddy of my son's, and and so he's supposed to do his test flight tomorrow. And it got canceled on him, right, Lucas? Got canceled on him. But he's gonna he's gonna get up and he's been flying people in airplanes, you know, uh, you know, uh, and and so this is Lucas flying. So Lucas gets to get up and see from a high vantage point that the vast majority of us don't get to see. And so he's going to get to see that regularly as he becomes a pilot through the years doing what he does. And so as you take a 10,000 foot view at what's going on, what we're seeing is, is the sovereign hand of God at work in a man's heart. I mean, the Ethiopian eunuch had traveled along the way, and he was just riding in his chariot, reading Isaiah, the scroll, which is crazy because he had part of the scroll of Isaiah. And then out of nowhere comes this guy, comes Philip, and and, and Philip is like jogging along. And suddenly they intersect in the middle of nowhere. And and he's like, hey, what what are you reading up there? He's like, I'm reading Isaiah. You know what it means? He's like, well, if you'll stop this chariot so I don't keep running, I'll get up there and tell you. And so he stops the chariot and he gets up in the chariot with him and he reads what the part that he read him and he begins to explain this whole thing to him and the the eunuch becomes a Christian, becomes a follower of Jesus. That's the the Lucas Klein view from 10,000 feet, okay? But as you kind of zoom in, here's what we see, the role of our obedience in this. At 10,000 view, foot views, you just see something happen. You're like, man, that's really cool. But the really awesome thing is that God takes the obedience that you and I respond to him in, and he uses people like you and me to share the gospel with people and interact with people to see them beca- born again, see the Spirit awaken them to the gospel. And, and so some of you might ask, well, um, I mean, what if Philip hadn't done that? I mean, what if Philip hadn't gone to to, and followed what God wanted him to do? Well, part of that I'll say is, I don't know if you read the text carefully or not, but Philip just kind of disappeared from one place and ended up in another. So I don't think he had much of a choice. I mean, if he's like, no, God, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go the other way. I mean, God could have made him disappear while he's running away and ended up right in front of the chariot. You know what, You see what I'm saying? I mean, the sovereign hand of God in the middle of this, using who he wants to use, how he wants to use them. The sovereign hand of God in salvation. Who he uses really is just incidental to the story, but he chose to use Philip here's the truth. The Lord of the universe has ordained that he will accomplish his sovereign work through us. That's you and me. He has ordained that he will accomplish his sovereign work through people like you and me. Our seeking the spirit's guidance and obeying what he wants us to do and say is the way he works to bless the world. He has chosen to use you and me. He has chosen that the gospel message will go forth by the mouths of men and women. Yet he is the one who accomplishes his purposes. You see that church? Do you see that? That's a pretty awesome thing that we get to be part of that. We see that God's sovereign hand is at work in all things. You read Romans, you can't see anything happening except God is at work and he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Amen. Amen. He's going to accomplish it. You don't like it, it doesn't matter. He's gonna make his ends come about. You, we see that Jesus accomplishing the work and finishing the work of salvation. We see that all through the scriptures. Specifically, uh, you can read that, all, all, again, all through the, uh, the New Testament, the cross, the resurrection, all that was planned. Jesus said, nobody, lays my li- nobody takes my life away from me. I lay my life down willingly. That was happening whether the Romans did it or whoever else did it. That was going to happen because that was the plan of redemption. And we see the Spirit is the one who awakens the hearts, dead hearts to life. Nothing's going to happen with you unless the Spirit begins to act on your heart. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. Paul writes that to the church at Ephesus. Is that we once walked in our, the deadness of our sin, the futility of our mind, darkened to the things of God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, it's because the Spirit of God has called you to himself, wakened you to the gospel, given you faith to believe, and made you alive in Christ Jesus. Amen. And he will do that for some of you today who are still dead in your sins. In our, in our obedience to Jesus, we encounter all kinds of chance meetings. You can probably think of some of those yourself, but they're not chance meetings, just like our text says today. This was not a chance meeting for Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. Let's go back and t- turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 53. That's Older Testament, turn to the left, Isaiah, big, thick book. Larry McBee talked too long today. Standard. Isaiah 53. This is what he was reading. I'm going to read all of Isaiah 53, and so listen quickly with me. This is what he was reading and the text goes on to say that he explained Isaiah 53 to him as he was reading part of the text too. And so this is what Isaiah 53 says, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him as a young plant and like a root of dry root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He's talking about Jesus here. Okay. Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus. And so 53 says, Jesus wasn't much to look at. You know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't probably an overly, he wasn't the guy whenever you walk in the room and go, oh, man, that, that dude is striking. That's the way it happens to me. But, <laughs> JK, LOLs. Uh, he wasn't much to look at. What I'm saying, he was just a normal looking dude. I don't know if you remember this or not. When the guards came to arrest him in the garden, they were like, hey, which one of these dudes is Jesus? He didn't have like a, Halo around him or a big light behind his head. None of that stuff was going on. Okay? Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as a one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah said, nobody thought much about him. His people didn't even think a whole lot about him. They didn't bring much esteem to him. Surely he has borne our griefs. That's what Jesus did for you and me. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. You see there's God who brought the, the wrath down on Jesus at the cross. Jesus wasn't so afraid of the Roman crucifixion as bad as it was. Jesus, the, the blood, the, the, the sweat that Jesus sweated, the blood that came out of his pores of his head wasn't because he was going to get nails in his hands, as bad as that was. It was because he was going to, uh, just like the scripture says, he was going to be stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The sins of the world laid on Jesus on the cross. Your sins, listen, your sins laid on Jesus. If you're not a Christian yet, your sins, covered by Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our iniquities means our sins, the way we've sinned against God. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. By His wounds, we are healed from our transgressions. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord laid on him, the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with a wick, wicked, and, uh, and uh, excuse me and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth look at 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Father to crush Jesus on our behalf. I will divide him with a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the text that, they was, that, they, that uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, and this is the text that was explained to him all along the way. Look what it says in verse 34. Before I say that, this was written some 800 years before Jesus came. No one had come on the scene to fulfill this prophecy of Isaiah until Jesus came on the scene to fulfill it. And yet here Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch stood with this pressing question. Look at 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with the scriptures. He he told him the good news about Jesus. He told him how he worked miracles. Told him how he made the lame to walk, how he made the dead come to life, how he made the blind to see, how he walked on water how he hung on a Roman cross until he died, how he willingly laid down his life to pay for the the debt that you owe for your sins. Listen, either you're gonna pay the debt for your sins or you're gonna trust Jesus to have paid the debt for you. That's the options. Listen to me. That's the options. No matter what you've been told in the past, you have two options you will either pay the debt for your sin and face the wrath of God for eternity or you will put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus who has paid the debt for your sins already where the wrath of God was poured out on him rather than being poured out on you. That's the options. And that's what Philip told this Ethiopian eunuch and that's the good news of the gospel. That God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what's encapsulated here in verse 35. So the question that requires an answer from each of us, each of you, tonight is this. What do you do when you hear the good news about Jesus? What will you do? What will you do? When you hear the good news about the gospel, you've heard it today. Preach it to you today. Same message essentially that I'm telling you today is the same message essentially that Philip told this Ethiopian eunuch along the way. Didn't give us a recording of it, just said that he expounded the scriptures and told him all about Jesus. Jesus. That's what I told you today. There's hope found in no other. There's life found in no other. There's eternal life found in no other. There's a relationship with God, the Father, found in no other except Jesus. And in Jesus, all of your sins can be forgiven. Yes, all of them. All of them. That thing that you're thinking about right now that you go, man, I don't think God will forgive me of that. Yes, he will. That thing that you go, man, if my parents ever find out about that, they're going to be mad, and I'm not sure my parents will ever forgive me, and I'm I'm sure God won't forgive me. Yes, he will. Husbands, wives, kids, whoever you are, if you're listening to me, you're hearing this sermon right now, all of your sins forgiven in Jesus. Ethiopian eunuch, listened to Philip, absorbed what it was he had to say, and is in the same place that all of you are in today, what do I do with all this? He heard that God became a man, took on flesh, lived the sinless life that's required by God, that none of us can live. You're like, that's not fair. I mean, God requires us something of us that we can't do. I know, it's not fair. But God, being rich in mercy, because the great love in which he loved us, sent Jesus to live like you and me, yet he did it sinless. He shed his blood without the shedding of blood of Jesus' precious blood. There is no forgiveness of your sins, but he he shed his blood. He died on a cross. He took the penalty. The penalty of our sin is death. Jesus took the penalty and then God raised him from the dead. God was satisfied with the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf whenever you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, just that's what, that's what Philip was telling the Ethiopian eunuch. Whenever you trust this one that you're reading about in Isaiah, you'll be in right relationship with God. He goes on and he begins to, to believe what it is. He chose to follow Jesus I'll read this part. He said, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. and The eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Boom, gone just as fast as he came, shared the gospel, man got saved. Boom, he's gone again. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on about his way rejoicing. Philip's work was done. The Lord took him away. The Ethiopian eunuch went about rejoicing. So how does this wrap up for you today? Same question I just asked. What do you do when you hear the good news about Jesus? What do you do? How will you respond? How are you going to respond today? There has to be a response today. Here's your response options. You rejoice that I'm in Christ Jesus already, okay? If you're Christians, bro, we're rejoicing. You know what I'm saying? We have been redeemed. We have been bought with a price. Our sins have been paid for. We have eternal life granted to us. The Spirit of God lives within us. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. We are being conformed to the image of Jesus. We rejoice in this. We get to live a new life not under the condemnation of God anymore. We rejoice in that. But if you're not a Christian, here are your two options. Repent of your sins or reject the free offer of salvation. That's it. It's your options? You're gonna do one of these today. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian yet, you're going to do one of these two options. You are going to repent of your sins and go, Holy smokes, I need Jesus. I recognize that, the, man, I ain't been to church in a while. Or I've been in church all my life, but I recognize that this is the Jesus that I've heard about, that I know about, that I've been running from, I've been trying to stay away from my entire life. I want to follow this Jesus. I want to be like this Ethiopian eunuch. I want to be made new, I want to be made alive. I want what it is that Pastor Scott's telling me about today. And we want you to repent of your sins, turn, put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Or you're going to reject Him, stroll right out this door like you do every week, snubbing your nose at Jesus, running the risk of being separated from Him forever under the condemnation that you walked in with. It's not what we want for you. We see that Philip, whenever he reappeared on the scene, he just kept preaching the gospel. That's what the last verse tells us. He found somewhere else to go. The Lord brought him somewhere else. He kept preaching the gospel. Why do we preach the gospel every week at Refuge? We don't know who might walk in. I've already met some of you here for the first time. Some of you had not got a chance to say hello to yet. We don't know who's going to walk in here for the very first time and need to hear the gospel. Happened to a friend of mine. Hadn't been in church in 29 years. Walked in, heard the gospel, said, I want to follow that Jesus. Became a Christian. We baptized him not too long ago. Beautiful things happening like that. Don't miss that. Spirit awakens who He will, he calls you to repent, believe the gospel. So, what do we do as followers of Jesus? That, that's my call to you, non Christian. Repent, come to Jesus today. If you are in Christ, if you're already a Christian, with this I'll be done. I want us to respond like Philip. Daily yield to the Spirit's guidance. Knowing that we're filled with the Spirit, respond like Philip did, willingly. Hey, what do you want me to do? I'll hey, where do you want me to go? I'll, I'll go. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. God, may you be using you to reach some people that nobody else will reach. Understand and share the good news about the gospel. The gospel is a message that must be told If you don't know how to share the gospel, ask, we'll help you. But you know what happened to you? Tell people that. Tell people that Jesus is their only hope. Lastly, love people enough to care about their soul, to care about their eternal life, to care that whenever they step out of this life into the next one, and it happens to all of us, that their life is spent in an eternity with Jesus. Let's do that together. Let me pray. God, we love you and we need you.